Why have a foreigner song from 1984 as the offering song at our Christmas Eve service? Well, the answer is because of our theme this year at Hope. We have a theme every year. You heard in the Hope 360, next year it's going to be on a mission from God. This year the theme has been to know and to be known. And this helps kind of guide us and keep us focused over the course. What's God up to in our lives? What, what kind of work is God doing in us as we continue to grow as followers of Jesus? We live in a world that is more connected than it's ever been. And at the same time, we live in a world where people feel more disconnected and isolated than maybe they've ever felt before. And so we thought God has something to say about that reality. Let, let's take a year to focus in on we want to know God. We want to know others. And in particular, we want to know what do healthy relationships and growing relationships with God and with others, what's that actually look like? So, so this song, I want to know what love is, chart-topping hit in 1984 by Foreigner, and it was written by a guy named Mick Jones, one of the members of the band. He says he does his best work late at night, and I guess that kind of depends on your perspective. It was 3 a.m. I don't know if that's late at night or early in the morning, but 3 a.m. one night, he's sitting at his piano keyboard, and the idea for this song just kind of pops into his head, the title, the melody, the, the music behind it. And so he starts uh, working with it. And, and here's what he says about how this kind of came about, divine intervention, I think you might say. He says, I don't know where it came from. I think there was something bigger than me behind it. I'd say it was probably written entirely by a higher force. And so part of what you need to know about that song, for Mick Jones, there was always something spiritual about it. He played it the next day for his soon-to-be wife, and she had kind of a puzzled look on her face. I want to know what love is. She says to him, you don't know what love is? We're about to get married. And, but he was in this place in his life where he was questioning, he was wondering. Three years earlier, his first marriage had ended in divorce. Now he's getting ready to enter into another relationship. Uh, he's got the, this success that he's experiencing as a, a member of this band. But of course, along with that comes increased expectations and pressures to continue to perform, and so there's conflict between band members. He's in this confusing place in his life where he wonders, is my heart half full? Is my heart half empty? Takes the song to the rest of the band members, and they like it. They start working on it, trying to turn it into a, a full kind of song, but they can't quite get it to where Mick Jones hopes it would be. He, he always felt like there was something missing. So he sits down with a buddy of his, has lunch with him. His buddy worked for a gospel music label. His buddy listened to the song and said, oh, I got an idea for you. They went to listen to the New Jersey Mass Choir, a gospel choir. And Mick Jones convinced that choir, that church choir, to sing background vocals on this song. If you listen to it, you can hear the church choir in the background, kind of like I could hear you singing along with these seven guys when we were singing that song. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. They squeeze into the recording studio on the, on the day they're trying to record the single. And... Again, they, they take several hours and, and several times through the song, not quite getting the sound that they're hoping for, so they decide to take a break. And at the end of the break, they gather together, the rock band and the church choir, hold hands, standing in a circle, and they pray the Lord's Prayer. And at the end of the prayer, they go back into the rehearsal of the recording studio, and it just takes them one take this time and to get this song right. I want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. Don't all of us at some point in our life find ourselves singing along with those lyrics? I want to know what love is. I wonder what you know about love this Christmas or what you think about love this Christmas. As you think about 
how far you've come in your life, what have you discovered to be true about love? Someone said to me one time, if you want to know what, what you love, take a look at your bank account and pay attention to where it is that you spend your money. How do you prioritize your finances? It's going to paint a picture around what it is that's important to you. You could also do the same thing with your calendar. What kinds of activities and events fill up your time? What do you spend most of your time doing? Who do you spend most of your time with? And that's going to give you a picture of what it is that you love. Every once in a while, we got to pause long enough to pay attention to these kinds of things. And when we do, I think we'll start to see that we spend a lot of time and energy and money on all kinds of things because we think we know what love is. But at what point in our life are we going to evaluate whether or not we have any clue about that? What is love? I think a lot of us, if we're honest, in those places in our hearts that we spend a lot of our time trying to ignore or pretend away, most of us understand deep within us that there is a deeper love, there is a richer love than what we know. And this time of year is an interesting time of year, isn't it? December rolls around every year, at least every year in my life so far it has. And there's something about Christmas that kind of narrows our focus. Something about Christmas that kind of helps us hone in, zero in. What is it in my life that is really important? What is it in my life that matters most? If you want to know what love is, Christmas is a reminder every year there's really only one place to look. One of Jesus' closest disciples, the Apostle John, writes a letter where he helps us get a really clear picture what love is. We'll put this up on the screen and let's read this out loud together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Read it with me. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We want to know what love is, and the good news is God wants us to know what love is. And part of what this verse is trying to communicate to us, if we want to know what love is, we have to get to know God. So there's an important question for you this Christmas. How well do you know God? Those of you who have been coming to Hope for the last 12 months, and our theme has been to know and to be known, we've been focusing on getting to know God better. How much time and energy and, and money have you invested in getting to know God better? Those of you who haven't been around hope, but you're kind of exploring faith, or you have a faith, or you're just visiting, whatever, it's a good question for all of us to ask. How well do you know God? And, and a lot of us might say, well, I know God pretty well. God's angry. God is vengeful. God is a strict disciplinarian. God loves to punish us when we mess up. That's who God is. I know that's who God is. Well, it's not the God this verse describes. This verse describes a God who loves us so much, God would do whatever it takes, would go to extreme measures to figure out a way that we wouldn't have to be punished for our sins. Other people say, oh, I know who God is. God is somewhere far off, completely disconnected from my life, disengaged with the realities of this world, with the realities of my life. God is disconnected, disinterested. I mean, God has way more important things to think about than the details of my life. And again, that's not what this verse seems to suggest. God is a God who loves us so much God would enter the world. God would enter your life because that's who God is. What is the first picture that comes into your mind? What, what's the primary image that you have when you think of the question, who is God? What does that look like for you? If it's anything other than God is love as your primary image, 
The first thing that pops in your mind about who God, you may think you know God, but you don't really know God. God is love, and this is real love. Not that we love God, but that God loves us enough to become one of us. The person of his son, Jesus Christ, God becomes a human being. The incarnation is what we call it. And there's all kinds of important theological reasons why the incarnation matters, why it's important that God takes on flesh, that God has a body. But really, one of the most simple realities about this, it's important that God has a body because this makes God touchable. The incarnation, Christmas, makes God touchable. If you want to know who God is, you got to touch God. And when you touch God, you feel the power of God's love for you. Luke chapter 2 is the classic account of the Christmas story where we get the you know, shepherds and the angels and swaddling clothes. Luke chapter 3 is the story of Jesus' baptism 30 years later, baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as he's being baptized, he hears the voice of his heavenly father, this God who loves us. And God says about his son, this is my dearly loved son with whom I'm well pleased. He brings me great joy. You turn the page to Luke chapter 4, and Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He's at a synagogue. He's the scripture reader for that particular worship service. After the service ends, he goes to the home of Peter's mother-in-law. She is sick with a fever. Jesus touches her, lays hands on her, and, and Jesus heals her sickness. The word spreads quickly throughout that community. And here's what Luke records happens by the end of that day. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. The touch of his hand healed everyone. Now, part of what you have to remember, when Jesus touches people and, and heals people, people who have illness, sickness, disease, whatever it might be, in Jesus' day, everyone believed, everyone knew if you were sick, if you had a disease, it's because you were a sinner. And so everyone would want to stay as far away as possible from people who were sick, people who had diseases. So when Jesus reaches out and touches and heals people who are sick, people with diseases, he's providing a physical healing, absolutely. But he's also providing an emotional and a relational healing. He's healing broken hearts. He's healing hearts that have been wounded because they've been kicked out of society. They've been marginalized. They've been isolated. They've been told they don't matter. Their lives are not important. If, if anyone wondered in Jesus' day, is, is my life important? Is there a place where I can belong? The healing touch of Jesus communicated a really powerful message. You absolutely belong. You are absolutely loved. If anyone wondered that, if anyone didn't know that to be the truth, the healing touch of Jesus changed things for them. Instantly, they could feel God's love. Jesus goes to the cross, he's crucified and dies. Three days later, the power of God's love raises him to new life. And after the resurrection, Jesus goes back to his disciples and freaks them out a little bit. They think he's a ghost. And Jesus wants to assure them that he's real. He's not a ghost. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Touch me and make sure that I'm real, that my love is real. One of the things the scripture writers tell us is when people receive that healing touch from Jesus, they can feel his power, they can feel his love. 
I wonder what kind of healing touch you are in need of this Christmas from Jesus. And maybe the best Christmas present you could have this year or any year would be to experience that healing touch and to feel the power of God's love for you.
that's the Christmas story. God who would go to the ends of the earth so we could feel his great love for us. And that's why a lot of you are here today. At some point in your life, you experienced that love. That love overcame you. That love overwhelmed you, and you've never been the same since. And you can't wait to get to worship every weekend or even on Christmas Eve, Eve, so that you can praise God for his great love for you. Others of you are here and you're trapped here because mom and dad told you we're going to church or grandpa and grandma told you're going to it's just not Christmas unless we sing Silent Night and hold on to candles and we'll do that in a little bit. Some of you are here and life's really pretty good for you most of the time, but there are times when you get that sort of punch in the pit of your stomach, that pang of emptiness, and most of the time you get so busy that you can kind of pretend it away, but this year, for whatever reason, you haven't been able to shake it. And so you walked into church today wondering, can God, can faith make any kind of difference in my life? And maybe you find yourself looking around at everybody else thinking, what do they know about life that I haven't figured out yet? Here's good news, we don't have it figured out yet. We're all kind of on that same path, step by step, day by day, trying to know God's love more. You might not be surprised to come to a worship service and hear the preacher talk about a God who is described as love, to hear a preacher say, Christmas is about God helping us know what love is. But one of the things you may not know or may not think about very often is Christmas is also about God who wants us to know what joy is. The angel appears to the shepherds. You remember what the angel says to the shepherds? I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news, great joy. There's a God who loves you. And even more than that, that love of God is going to fill your life with great joy. Are you feeling the joy this Christmas? I'll just be honest with you, I haven't really been feeling I think I finally felt like it was Christmas when we were singing that song, Oh Praise the Name, and we got to the part where we all started to sing, Oh Come, Oh Come, Emmanuel. It kind of started to feel like Christmas for me. I, I don't know what it takes to feel like Christmas for you. It's been unseasonably warm here in Iowa recently, and not a whole lot of snow, and school only got out, what, like two days ago. A lot of us, I think, were just like, oh, how did Christmas get here so quick? And maybe for some of you, Instead of the Christmas spirit, you're feeling the Grinch spirit. That inner Grinch is just kind of coming out. And so I thought it would be good on a night when we're talking about this good news and great joy that maybe we just kind of breathe out the inner Grinch and refill our joy tank. And release all of those sounds that are trapped in your mind. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm a little messed up, aren't we all? Yeah. So, I think it might be good for us to actually do that. We're just going to release our inner Grinch. You don't have to get in a yoga pose or anything, but I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, we're all going to do that. Right? You promise me you're not just going to watch me do it, right? We're all going to do that on the count of three. One, two, three. that all you got? One more time. One, two, three. You didn't expect to come to church and yell like that, did you? 
So we have a lot of expectations or, or we think we know what church is about and what does it mean to be a Christian. Like Christians are supposed to read the Bible and Christians are supposed to pray and Christians are supposed to go to worship and serve people. And of course we are. And we call those spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines things we can do to help us know God better. For centuries, the great men and women of faith have been teaching church people practice the spiritual disciplines. Did you know one of the spiritual disciplines is joy? celebration is, is what they call it. Like we call our typical weekend worship services celebration services. Saturday at 5, Sunday mornings at 8, 9, 15, and 11, but not tomorrow morning. Tomorrow it's all at Wells Fargo. Don't come here at 8 o'clock expecting a celebration service. You will not be celebrating. But we call them celebration services because Christmas is supposed, uh, worship is supposed to be celebratory. But a lot of us don't think that or believe that or, or we get kind of freaked out when people are joyful at church. One of my favorite activities, one of the favorite things I get to do as a pastor is officiate weddings. And when it fits into my schedule, I love to go to the wedding receptions because I know at the wedding reception, the food is going to be good and the music is going to be good and the dancing, well, they'll be dancing. <laughs> I've seen some of you on the dance floor. I wouldn't describe it as good, but people <laughs> are celebrating good times at a wedding reception, right? There are, and I never see anyone at a wedding reception kind of elbowing the person next to them. Why is that person raising their hands and waving their hands along with the music? I never see anyone pull out their what, smartphone and, and, and pull out the decibel app and go running back to the DJ to say, the music's a little too loud. I never see that because people know it's joyful. It's a celebration. Did you know worship is supposed to be that way? Celebrate good times, people. Come on. Yeah. One, of the, one of the primary metaphors that the biblical writers give to help us understand what's our relationship between God and people, what's it supposed to be like? They use the metaphor of a wedding and wedding celebrations in particular to help us know love, but also to help us know joy. The first miracle that Jesus does, it's at a wedding. They run out of wine at the wedding reception. And instead of shutting it down, Jesus' mom is like, do something, and he does. He changes water into wine so that nobody's embarrassed, that's a loving thing to do, but also so that the party can go on, so there can be more celebration. When, when somebody asks you, do you know who God is, hopefully the first thing that comes into your mind is God is love. How far down the list do you have to go before you realize God is joy? Good news, great joy. Do you know, do you believe Jesus comes as the joy bringer? It's amazing, isn't it? Most of the time we don't have... Jesus, the night before he's killed, he's talking about joy. He says to his disciples, I've told you all these things, I've done all this so that my joy may be in you. My joy can be in you. Jesus is always pointing people to children. Let the little children come to me. Have childlike faith. And one of the reasons Jesus does this, Jesus understands children experience and understand joy in a way most adults have forgotten. When you are a child, everything's new. It's great. It's awesome. There's this contrast between joy and this fancy word that we need to talk about today, jaded. According to Webster, someone who is jaded is someone who has been made dull, apathetic, or cynical by experience or by having or seeing too much of something. Well, what's your joy level this Christmas? On, on a scale of 0 to 10 or Grinch to Elf, where would you rate your joy level? 
Or are you starting to become jaded? So Jesus is always pointing to kids, pointing to kids. Kids experience everything, so many things for the first time. And it's awesome and it's exciting. Do you like magic tricks? Do you like card tricks? My son Kemble loves card tricks and I thought it'd be good for Kemble to come out and do a card trick for us so that we can understand the difference between being people who are jaded or people who are joyful. So how about a big hope welcome for Kemble? Hi Kemble. Hello. Are you feeling the joy tonight? Yeah, I am. Okay, all right. So you got a card trick for us. Yes, I do. All right. Okay, so first I need you to... Well, I've got yeah, a deck. Show them. Is, just, that's a real, it's not a trick yeah, deck, right? Normal. Okay. Normal um, now, I, all I need you to do is, well, not all I need you to do, but pick a card. First thing is pick a card. First all thing. Right. And show it to you? No. Show it to everybody show else. Show it to everyone though. else. Can you see it? All right. Got it. Okay. So just put it back on top. The card is on the top. Okay, I'm going to riffle through the deck and you're, you're going to riffle through. Are you making up words? No. <laughs> No, look it Riffles up. a word? Yeah, look it up. Okay. <laughs> so. I'll, do, I'll be sure to do that. I'm going to riffle through the deck. Riffle. And, yeah, and you're going to tell me when it stops. When you're riffling, I say stop. Yeah. Okay. Well, riffle a little slower. You've you got to be faster. <laughs> I'm old. Stop. Right there. So I'm just going to cut the deck there. Okay. I'm going to give it a shuffle. Yeah. A tricky uh, shuffle or a regular one? I'm trying to do a regular one. All right. Okay. Nicely done. So now um, I'm going to pick out four cards. Just randomly pick out four cards. Okay. Why that one? Just kidding. I feel like it. You felt like it. Just do what okay. you feel, Kimball. So now I'm just going to mix these around. That's not riffling. You're mixing now. Just mixing. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So hold out your fist like this. I'm just going to put the cards in your fist. How about like that? And, okay. Fine. Whatever. Okay. And this is... This is the best part, because What's, if I mess up, it's now your fault. Because, it's my fault? Yeah, you either held it too tight or not tight enough. Oh, so dear. you got to find the line. Just right? Just right. So ready? Oh, you did it on the second Did try. I do it? Yeah. I didn't mess it up? You didn't mess it up. Is that the card it was? <laughs> boy, Kimball. Now, how did you do that? Magic. A magician never lets us know his tricks. Thank you, Kemble. Merry Christmas, Kemble. When, I don't know if this is true for you or not. When I see a card trick for the first time, it's like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Second time, third time, fifth time, still pretty cool. A hundredth time, not quite so cool anymore. Or, or if the magician tells you how they do it, all of a sudden it, you start to become a little jaded, don't you? You ever hang around kids and they ask you to do something and so you say, I'll do it. I'll play with my child or my grandchildren or nieces, nephews, neighbor kids, whatever it might be. And you do it once and what do they say? Do it again. And so you do it again and then you find yourself, you've been doing it again and again and again for like an hour and you're sore and you're tired and you're annoyed a little bit and bored and the kids are like, keep going. This is the best thing ever. Kids don't get bored, tired, jaded. Neither does God. G.K. Chesterton writes this about our God who is a joyful God. God's strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible. God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be that God has the eternal appetite for infancy. God has the eternal appetite for infancy. Do you? 
How's your appetite for infancy? Do, do you feel the joy? Do you experience things sometimes for the first time? If not, here's part of the good news. God's a God who makes all things new. God can renew your joy. God can restore your joy so that you don't become someone who is jaded and walking through life with an empty joy tank. Now, part of what I want you to understand about joy is joy is a byproduct. In other words, if you're not feeling the joy, the idea is not, let's go searching for joy so that we can be filled with joy. Look at the shepherds and the magi in the Christmas story. They don't go searching for joy. They're seeking out the Christ child. And when they find the Christ child, that fills them with joy. If you want to be filled with joy, seek out the Christ child and you'll find joy along the way. Joy is a byproduct. It's not something we can muster up. It comes from how well do we know God? Nehemiah, the great Old Testament leader, leading the people of Israel back to Jerusalem. They've been captives in exile for decades, and they finally get to come back to Jerusalem. They're really excited about it until they get to Jerusalem, and they see it's, been, it's in ruins, and they're disappointed. And Scripture actually says they're weeping, they're grieving, and Nehemiah does not command them to be joyful. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He points them to God. If you know God, you're also going to know joy. It's available right now. The psalm writer says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you are waiting for something to happen so that you can be filled with joy, you're doing it wrong. Joy is available right now, and it's not dependent on your circumstances. Paul writes Philippians, the book of Philippians, while he's sitting in the, a jail cell. And one of the things he writes is Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Of course, we have those times in our lives, those moments in our lives where we're just not feeling the joy. What do we do? We look to God and we remember, oh, I know who God is. God's a God of joy and God's joy is available now and God's joy is not about my circumstances. God's joy is greater than my circumstances. And then the other thing you can do when you're finding yourself in a joyless streak, maybe you listen to Foreigner. I want to know what love is. There's a couple of really deeply, profoundly theological lyrics in that song. I don't know if you picked up on them or not. Here's one of them. They sang, it looks like love has finally found me. Again, one of the misconceptions we have about God, and, and of course there's a both and here, but one of the misconceptions we have is, that somehow God's playing this cosmic game of hide and seek. God doesn't want us to find him. And so our job is to kind of seek out, where is God hiding today? And, and God's disappointed when we find him. That's, Christmas tells us that's not who God is. God's not hiding somewhere far away. God comes to us. God makes himself known to us. God reveals himself to us. God's love finds us. God's love is like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of the sheep gets lost. What does the shepherd do? Goes seeking after that lost sheep until he finds him. And when the lost sheep has been found, there's a party. There's a great celebration. It looks like love has finally found me. Maybe this Christmas you're the lost sheep. For whatever reason, you're not feeling the joy. Another lyric in that song said, In my life there's been heartache and pain. Can I get an amen from the congregation? In my life, there's been heartache and pain. And when we experience that, 
that's what caused, that sucks the joy out of us. Life has a way of doing it, doesn't it? Turning us into people who are jaded. One of the things God's been showing me over the last couple of months or so is there's this real strong correlation between our pain and our joy. We all want to experience joy, and we all want to avoid pain. Now, there's a problem with that. The, the way you see Jesus working in the Gospels is there's people who are hurting and in pain, and Jesus touches them and heals them, and they feel the power of his love, and it ends up filling them with great joy. So you see there's a progression there. Most of us, a lot of us, particularly in this part of the world, we, we've gotten really good at hiding our pain, telling everyone we're just fine, everything's going great. We only show and talk about the things that are going well, and we've got this deep hurt and this deep pain, and we try to pretend it away. We try to ignore it almost all the time. When we do that, we don't allow for the healing touch of God to heal us, to fill us with his love, and to give us great joy. When we hide our pain, it mutes our joy. I mean, it would be like, what if the angel says to the shepherds, hey, I'll tell you where Jesus is, and one of the shepherds says, no, nah, I'm good. You, the rest of you can go, I'll just stay here. Think of what that shepherd would have missed. And think about how many of us live our lives that way. God has this offer of an abundant life, of good news and great joy, and how many of us are just like, no, nah, I'm good. But we're not good. We're hurting, we're broken, we're messed up. Of course, we experience a lot of good in this life because God is such a good God. And the good and perfect love of God, Christmas tells us, it has come for us. The good love of God is going to pursue us all the days of our life, and one day, who knows? Maybe it's today. God's love is going to find you, and you will know what love is. And it'll change everything for you. You will know hope for the hurting. You'll know love for the lost. You'll know Christ, the Savior, is born.